played this as a 45-minute composition for um, synthesizer, um, like vintage drum machines, reel-to-reel machine, but really it's for the Federation bells, which are... Um, it's a Karelian instrument that, that's actually public art sculpture here in Melbourne, um, composed of 36 uh, different bells. They're upside down on poles and they're controlled by a uh, keyboard. I was going to say, because I didn't know much about them before I had heard your stuff, and um, it was really interesting. How did you yourself find out about them, and how did they come about to be such a big part of this recording process? Um, well, I was actually commissioned by City of Melbourne. So uh, City of Melbourne has a record label called Heavy Machinery Records, which is incredible, by the way. Their discography, it's all local music, and they, they commission a lot of works. Um, they yeah, so they commissioned me. I'd, I'd never really heard of the bells myself before. I'd walked past them because they're at Birong Ma, which is between um, the MCG and Flinders um, station. And um, yeah, so I, I guess I'd never really heard of them before. But they're, yeah, they're definitely a unique instrument. Instrument, and I can't say that without having been um, commissioned to do it. I, I would never have have you know um, sought to create a work on the bells. It was it was a, a huge challenge, but um, one that that was a good challenge to have during COVID. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine it would have been an interesting recording process having those. How did I guess getting that sound and translating it to a recorded work come about? So it's actually or it's pre the bells. Um, oh, I could talk about the bells for hours. So you should be careful about how too many questions about them because I really can talk about them for a long time. So I actually play them with a sample at home with a sampler via my door, which was I actually had to learn Ableton um, because it wasn't working. That the sampler was not compatible with Logic, which is my normal program that I use to to create music or compose music and um, yeah so each bell right there's 36 of them the the hammer that hits it there's five different levels of velocity so and since since it's a machine hitting it it's like exactly the same every time so each like note that you play has a bell behind it and there's like five different recordings of the bell in that sampler depending on how hard it's being hit but I do have to say it's nothing like the real thing the real bells um, resonate uh, in a in a very different not I wouldn't say different sounding way but it just resonates a bit further than the the sampler but what you hear on the record is a sampler or it's a very high quality version um, of the sampler yeah that's so interesting. And I guess along with the bells, what was some of the other, I guess, sonic inspirations that you were like drawn to and what sounds did you want to kind of replicate for the album? Oh, that's that's a really good question. Like um, when I started writing the album, uh, I wrote and deleted it four times. I on- honestly did because I, I first just started it writing it in the style of my solo project, which is, you know, a bit more structured song-wise, like takes influence from pop and, you know, uh, industrial, dark wave, um, but but definitely pop, you know, following those structures. Anyway, so I tried to do that at the start and it just, it didn't feel right. It wasn't working. All I, I was writing a lot of music, but none of it, it just seemed like it was just inappropriate to do it on the bells. Like it would have been better on my own style, you know, with my own in- choice of instruments. So I was kind of forced to... Um, 
think really conceptually about how I wanted to do it because it just wasn't working. So in the end, I decided to pull, I made the intellectual decision to pull influence from um, like experimental and noise music because also at the same time, this album um, is going to be under my discography forever. So it actually, ha- it like any album I do, it has to be the best work that I've ever done. And um, yeah, the writing process was uh, was very convoluted, writing it and de- deleting it. And I finally, yeah, kind of settled on two main influences, which is um, the artist Cozy Fanny Tootie, who uh, was like involved in the birth of industrial music with her band um, Throbbing Gristle. Um, but I, I took from her more of her modern, because she's been around since the 70s, more of her modern um, solo project, uh, influenced from that. And then I was also really influenced by um, this Japanese group called Group A, but they're based in Berlin. And But, but the, I guess the commonality between um, Cozy Fanitude and Group A is like they both experiment. They, they do highly experimental music that plays with your expectations. It doesn't follow song structures. It's more about like the oral qualities of it all, like the... Um, yeah, and a bit. I guess I was more f- less focused on the meaning behind the songs, and actually more focused on creating these kind of worlds out of sound, out of bells. Yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. And I guess I know y- you have just said, you know, moving away from the kind of meanings of songs. But I wanted to ask if there was anything thematically that you were trying to cover with this album, or anything that you were kind of trying to convey, and what you wanted the your listeners to get out of it. Well, I guess um, I'm conveying my sensibilities and my tastes, really, uh, with with what I was creating. Um, I did try to, because all my other albums are pure conceptual albums. They're, like, so full of meaning and poetry and lyrics and and quite literal. But this, yeah, was very removed from that. Um, uh, the, The only song... I mean, they de- yeah, they're, they're, I guess they're all little pieces of my soul and myself and, like, how I think about the world. But certainly um, the last song, Faithless, and what the album is called, um, that, that song does have a meaning um, compared to the other ones. It was It's a, um, a song written, like, in, in memory for a friend who passed away um, unjustly uh, during, during COVID times. Um, just like, yeah, you know, the, the mental health crisis that we're, that's happening in Australia at the moment. So it's it's um, the last song is the only song that follows a song structure, and it also has a like a very a literal concept behind it. And I wanted to ask also, touching on that with the song Faithless, it includes the Faithless Choir. Who are they and why were they integral in the titular track of this album? Oh, my God, the Faithless Choir. So amazing. So I actually originally contacted the artist um, known as Honey Machete, uh, um, Angel, also known as Angel Connolly, and because um, I've wanted to work with Angel for years, um, just uh, look, with all the 
previous bands um, that Angel's been in that have been incredible, like Habits was one of the main ones. Anyway, so I've been wanting to work with Angel for years and I finally found the opportunity. Um, I actually wanted uh, her to do the entire album, but uh, that was just a lot during COVID. It wasn't possible. It would have... we it. Yeah, it would have taken weeks of, of arrangement. Um, anyway, so I wrote the song um, and I sent it off to her and she wrote an arrangement with um, with her own voice and ha- she actually handpicked the choir, um, which is uh, 10 people. Um, so we got... Agnes uh, Wallen, who is uh, who's formerly the singer of Hextet, also has her own solo project. There's um, uh, Alexander Dubois, who's a founder of Faint Magazine. We got um, uh, Callan, the artist Callan, who um, that was like an amazing score to get her on the album because she used to be quite a prolific performing artist. She hasn't. Um, done too many performances in recent years and then um, there was Abraham um, who I've worked with um, he, uh, Abraham's actually been in several of my music videos in the past um, he's got a very very low register and then we got Rin McArdle who's um, also like a well known solo artist um, in her own right there was Silly Silly who um, I actually met her through Angel Angel used to run a choir in her garage it was an informal queer choir and um, you could just kind of turn up every week. And so I met her there. And she's yeah, amazing soprano singer. Max Lawrence, who's just released an awesome single that's coming out. Um, Juliet Rowe, who I'd never uh, met before either, who's just like an amazing activist and like oh, amazing singer. Um, and then Grey Bouquet, um, another amazing singer, amazing artist. And then um, lastly, there was Eric Butler, who's just like another amazing artist and singer. And and majority of these people, I'd I'd actually never met them uh, before going into the recording room. And I have to say that day was like the proudest and one of the best days of my life, Um, hearing a choir, you know, sing this song that um, I'd written. And, yeah, we were linked in meaning as well because a lot of people knew um, Bridget, who this song was wrote for as well. So it was very, um, very meaningful and um, and also quite, uh, even though the subject matter is quite sad, it was quite joyful as well that it was kind of became a larger metaphor for community care. Yeah, absolutely. That's so great to hear about. And like that whole process was kind of, I feel like one of one of healing and also one of coming together and creating yes. something so beautiful um, through a shared love for music and a creative process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving into a little bit more of just general, I guess, stuff. I mean, you know, you've had heaps of different uh, sonic influences and cultural influences. Which uh, city do you think has impacted your sound the most? Oh, it's got to be. I hate to say it, the beer word, Berlin. (laughs) Um, I did live there for almost a decade um, and I've been back in Australia for about seven years now and um, I I, I started, I, I had just started kind of making music on my on my little laptop right before I left for Germany but um my music practice was really established over there and I started playing in bands and touring there I played in a grindcore band for about three years called Batali um and that that actually informed this album quite a bit as well because uh the album Faith is like all the songs flow into each other there is almost no like direct 
cuts. Um, like the, the sound doesn't fade off before the next song starts. They're all interlinked. And that's something we did in the grindcore band. Um, like there were no gaps in the set. It just everything flowed in together. And I really like that sensibility of having a whole piece that kind of just flows. Yeah. And I guess similarly, do you feel like the queer communities that you've been part of and that journey have impacted the, your sonic journey? Oh my goodness, yes, yes, uh, 100% yes. Um, I mean, I think some of the finest artists uh, around, I don't know if it's coincidence, but they all happen to be queer. Um, and like, yeah, Mel- Melbourne in particular, I mean, uh, yeah, Melbourne really blows me away with the queer scene and the musicians that were so privileged to have. Um, musicians like, um, you know, like Garyon, like June Jones, like Helen, like pr- pretty much mostly everyone I just mentioned who's in the um, uh, in the choir. Um, uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know, also in, in Berlin as well, like being influenced by the queer scene there and also being platformed by, like, queer parties and stuff. Um has yeah has I guess that's like also influenced me further and co- like where else we're we getting like the fashion and you know the cutting edge vibes it's all coming from the queer scene I guess more specifically what is your relationship to the queer community as a whole well I feel like I've been part of the queer community since I was maybe like seven or eight or something um you know but but while my gender identity is that I'm um, non-binary, although I do still identify as a woman, but I like they, them pronouns. I reject gender. I hate um, since being young, like, and, you know, developing, um, I don't know how to say that, but developing, like, with estrogen um and how my body changed. I hated how I suddenly noticed people looked at me different, people treated me different, and I reject that. And uh, I find it abhorrent, like, um, yeah, being being treated like that. And also, I guess, yeah, my, my sexuality is also queer as well. Um, I'm just, say, queer. Um, and, like, I guess... I've always felt like an outsider as well. And I feel like if you're queer, you kind of are made to feel like an outsider or you can feel like an outsider. Like there's even now I'm, I'm 37 years old. I'm still um, untangling all the internalized homophobia that I have inside of me since growing up. Um, and I can't believe, you know, it's still inside of me and, and, you know, the shame or whatever, it's ridiculous. But um, I guess that, you know, society's like, can, can be kind of a hostile place if you don't um, step into line, if you, you know, if you don't keep your head down or whatever. Um, uh, and I feel like I've always identified with the queer scene because of that, that what links us, like, yeah, I don't want to say we're, like, different to everyone else, but because we're not, we're, you know, but look, we do get treated differently and, you know, it's, disapp- you know, you get all this microaggressions and stuff and it's relevant and I think a lot of people relate to it and it is this kind of ongoing process and, uh, yeah, I guess how has, is, are there definitive parts in which you can identify where your identity has evolved and like yes oh my god yes actually because um i've always felt like androgynous or i've always dressed androgynous but until very recently only until about six months ago did i feel comfortable enough to actually publicly state i prefer they them profiles because i 
I think in the past I thought, no, I have to be certain about it. I have to be 100%. But I think the beauty of it is... I can be whatever I can be whatever I want to be. I can identify as whatever I want and nobody has the right to question me on that. Nobody has the right to question what my gender identity is or what my sexuality is. That's only for me and I have the right to one day say I'm they them and if the next day that I want to be she then I can do that too and then the next day I can go back to they if I want to. I can do whatever I want and no one has the right to judge me and I think I felt like in the past like I'm not queer enough for um, and I think a part of it was also recognizing the struggles of my queer and trans friends who have who have been publicly out for a long time, and just seeing how that has affected them. And I honestly was afraid of it. And I'm not going to lie; it has been a little bit difficult at times. Uh, I do feel like great having come out with it, but it's still not like that easy. Like at work, I get misgendered you know not all the time but occasionally um and obviously you know I I I I work I mean I just admit it I have a day job everybody I do (laughs) um but and that that can be a little bit stressful at times but I guess I just go into it kind of accepting that um, that's just how it is and, and like I can't explain it to everyone all the time um, but at least you know everyone in my personal life um, is aware but yeah that, I think that's a really important point though that um, like anyone can identify with what they want to be and like don't ever feel like you know you have to be like a million percent trans or like you can just be yourself and you're allowed to identify with whatever you want nobody can question you on that because only you know like we are the only ones inside of our own heads no one can get into your head and know what you're doing or thinking or whatever it's brilliant advice. It's and I think it's something that we all kind of need to be reminded of. It is it's an ongoing process and it you never have to be fully sure of it, but it's it's just how you feel at that moment and that is valid. And I guess it's it's probably advice that you know you would have liked to have had. Is there anything else that you would tell either your younger self or other people questioning their gender identity? Um I I would say like it's definitely good to talk with other people who have like um, similar gender identities to maybe what you think so if you think you're non-binary maybe like chat with some non-binary friends like the internet is a wealth of resources about that as well obviously like there's a lot of hate as well on the internet which is really disturbing and just know that like um trans joys resistance and like you know you are valid and like swear word all those haters they're just idiots who are obviously like we all know that like anyone who's transphobic is just obviously doesn't know trans people and is just you know an idiot who has a lot of hate in their life and I know it's hard to kind of disregard hate because you know it does hurt um, even if you know that it's not right but um, yeah I just say forget the losers Uh, like anyone who's a transphobe is a complete loser and forget those people they're just losers (laughs) you're absolutely correct and finally I want to ask being that you're here via a lot of different places Berlin included Bergein overrated underrated what is your take overrated (laughs) I never went there on purpose for the whole decade that I lived there although I did go when I went and visited um 
like before COVID a few years ago. I did, I, I went by myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I have friends that work there and I feel like, uh, to be fair, I've been there like after hours, like in the back, because of course I've lived there for 10 years. So I know the people that live there. Honestly, it's cool because it, 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 it has a kind of kink scene out there on display. Like there's all these open toilets where you can go into the toilet and if you're into that, you can, you know, oh, I don't know if I can say that on the radio. You can um, be soiled by other people and they have all kinds of crazy parties that I just think are so funny. But I really hate the exclusivity thing, like um, like the whole, you know, you're in, you're not in. Um, so that's kind of why I never went there. But I mean, it's an institution, like, for a reason. It's got one of the best sound systems in Europe. And um, also, like, I was hanging out with the sound, uh, my friend Martin, who does sound there, actually, the, just yesterday. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's employing cool people. And I, I don't really like techno that much, I have to say. I, I only grew to like it here in Australia after listening to another amazing queer artist who's also on Heavy Machinery Records, uh, Ninu Buchanan. Um, she was one of the artists that, like, changed my mind about techno. But it's funny, it happened, like, 10 years after I um, had been exposed to it all. It's funny how that works sometimes. I'm going to be doing a tour called Triple Threat with two amazing artists, Maxine Gillen and Ghost Bitch. Um, you will have to travel a little bit out of town to see us, though, but I promise it's worth it. So we're doing Geelong at the Medusa Bar uh, June 16th, and we're doing Ballarat at Volta. That's June 17th. And then finally Castlemaine on June the 18th. We're actually doing it at the Senior Citizen Centre, but we didn't put that on the poster. <laughs> 